0: You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland.
1: God is the judge, and He's saying, I want you to go in this giant courtroom called the world, and I want you to go, and I want you to tell them exactly what you saw and what you heard, what you felt with your own hand. Don't tell us what you think other people saw or heard. The apostles were literally the eyewitnesses of the life and the death of and the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. They are His chosen witnesses. They saw and heard it all.
0: The disciples who spread Christianity were firsthand witnesses to Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. In today's message from Pastor Tom, you will hear about how we are called to be witnesses and what we are witnessing to others about it, the eyewitness testimonies of Jesus' closest followers. These men saw with their own eyes and touched Jesus with their own hands after He was resurrected from the dead. We are to continue the spread of their gospel message with confidence that it is truth. Now here's Pastor Tom in the book of Acts chapter 1 with today's edition of Discover Hope.
1: Would you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1? There's a lot of groundwork to lay in the early chapters of Acts and we're in Acts 1, 6 to 8 and we're returning to our study of the kingdom of God and the church's witness. That's a connection that I'm hoping everyone gets, that our talk about the future kingdom of God and our present witnessing, they're linked. And sometimes people don't see or realize how they are linked, and I'm hoping that your personal witnessing will be linked to this concept of a coming kingdom, and you'll be able to maybe get even more excited about your witnessing or understand it at a deeper level Verses 6 through 8, I'll go ahead and read it again. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of of the earth. Now, as we begin this passage, we learn that the church was given its marching orders. That's what these are. What is the church supposed to be doing? Well, we're told right at the beginning of its history, even right before the church is born in Acts 2. Now they know exactly what they're about. That's good. It's not good to be given a great mission and not know what the mission is about. And so here they're actually being told. What their mission is. This is our mission, by the way. If you're wondering why do we exist as a church, I mean, here it is. You will be my witnesses. We connect that with Matthew 28: Go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, teaching them, baptizing them. This is important. This is our mission. Christ told his disciples, "This is what you're supposed to do. You're to witness concerning Him." They were to uh, await. The arrival of the Holy Spirit, they were going to have to wait longer for the arrival of the full invisible kingdom of God. In the meantime, they were to get busy witnessing. This lets us all know, you know, that even though we're not in the kingdom proper now, remember we talked about different aspects of the kingdom. There is the overall kingdom of God. God rules over everything in the universe. But there is this mediatorial kingdom where he chooses a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the king under him, and he rules on the earth. And we saw that in the line of David. Adam was supposed to be that in the very beginning, but he forfeited his role in a sense as he was tempted by Satan. And so Christ is coming as the second Adam. He's coming as the son of David, and he is that mediating king, the mediatorial kingdom. And God will reign through him in a full and visible way on earth. But there's also a spiritual kingdom that we're part of now. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. So we're in the kingdom in that spiritual sense, but not in the full and realized sense. That's still coming. And it's not just happening when we die and go to be with the Lord in heaven. It's coming with full power to this earth. The Bible's very clear about that. What does our evangelism do now? It announces that kingdom. It announces that kingdom. And it invites people into that kingdom. We witness about the king of that kingdom and tell them all about him. We warn them what that king will do to them when he comes and he finds a person disobedient to what he said. All of that is real part of history. You have to get out of your mind this idea that this is religious truth and Bible truth. This is happening in the world. Things are lining up right now in prophecy to make sure that all of these details happen. We are the ambassadors. We get to announce this, and it's a great, great role. That clarifies our role. It's so simple, really. It's profound. It keeps us on target. It makes sure that when people say, well, the church should be doing more of this and the church should be more, doing more of that. No, this is our role. This is what the Lord said to do. This is what we're going to do. We want to make sure we do the master's will, not someone else's. And it sounds like a great and noble cause, but it's not what we're really about. The words are clear. The words are Unambiguous. Here we looked at two present actions that define us. One is really not an action, it's what we're anticipating. And we talked about that last time. We are allowed to, and we're supposed to be, anticipating the arrival of a future kingdom. Some people deny this, but the Bible is so clear about this. There is a kingdom coming, We're even to pray for that. Thy kingdom come on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Remember, as it is in heaven. It's supposed to come down to earth. God's kingdom is something we should long to be a part of. God's kingdom is something we should be conversant about. What's God's kingdom like? You should be able to talk about that. That should be a subject of study that you know a lot about. You want to know a lot about You start talking about it, explaining it. Well, the kingdom of God is not like this, but it is like that. In Acts 1.3, it said that Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. That was his main subject after the resurrection. He's been risen from the dead. He's got the disciples in front of him. Church is about to start. What does he talk to him about? Answer, kingdom of God. That's what he talked about, the kingdom of God. In Acts 1, 6, the disciples knew it was coming. They thought this was a great time to ask about it. The Spirit was about to descend. That was associated with the kingdom. They were right outside of Jerusalem, the place of the kingdom, the throne of the kingdom. Great time to ask, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring that Israeli kingdom? And he says, it's not for you to know. In essence, he says, yes, that kingdom is coming, but it's not for you to know when. There are a lot of people that don't know how to read simple words. It is not for you to know. Anticipation of the kingdom is good. Predicting end time dates is bad. Anticipation of the kingdom is not something that we dropped once Jesus went to heaven and the church started. Some people have this mistaken notion that Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom to the Jews. But then the church started and then everyone stopped talking about that kingdom. It's not what happened. Read your Bibles. Read through Acts. Some people think the church is the kingdom. That's it. That's all that there will be. That's misleading. The church did not stop talking about the future kingdom or getting into the kingdom. In fact, they might have amped it up in some way. We'll see this throughout the book of Acts. The disciples kept anticipating a future kingdom. They continued to preach the good news of the kingdom. That's what that is, the gospel of the kingdom. What's that? The good news that the kingdom is coming. It's coming. In Acts chapter 8, for example, that's well into several years there. In church history. It says when they believed Philip preaching the good news about, and you might say Jesus Christ, yes, but what it says there is the good news about the kingdom of God. His witnessing was about the kingdom of God. Then it says they were baptized. So they got baptized believing in Jesus because Philip was preaching about the kingdom of God. That was part of their evangelism. In Acts fourteen twenty two, it says Paul was strengthening the souls of the disciples. These are Christians. Encouraging them to continue in the faith. It's hard being down here, right? And saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. They're not in the kingdom of God yet. You have to go through the tribulations in life before you can enter into the kingdom of God. Future oriented. In Acts 19, it's towards the backside of the book. Acts 19, Luke records that Paul entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months reasoning and persuading them about the... Now you might say the doctrines of grace. That would have been a wonderful thing to persuade them about. But there it says, persuading them about the kingdom of God. That was the topic for Paul all the way down in Acts 19. Go all the way to Acts 28, last chapter of Acts. And it records Paul was, quote, explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Constant persuasion come into the kingdom of God. The Jews were still being told Jesus was the king. He was their Messiah, the king, the anointed king. And there was a kingdom coming. And guess who would usher it in? Jesus. Now, from start to finish, the book of Acts is testifying and witnessing about Jesus, who is Messiah. What is Messiah? Anointed king. Of what? The kingdom. We proclaim Christ as Lord. We're proclaiming him as king because he has a kingdom. And we want to be part of that kingdom. This is great news because we look at you know how bad our country gets. Well, which country are you going to flee to? You're going to go to Australia? Where are you going to go? Which country is going to be your favorite country to go to? You pick one out and say, oh, I want to go live in that country. You think their country is great? You think things are great there? We're all on earth and we're waiting for a kingdom. We're waiting for it. We don't know the timing of it. We're waiting for it and we're preaching it. In fact, this is really the message of the whole New Testament. In a 2013 Master Seminary Journal article, it points out the importance of the kingdom theme in all the New Testament. I'll quote it. It says... There is wide agreement that the kingdom and salvation themes are linked throughout the New Testament. The Gospels display this link in their many statements concerning entrance into the kingdom. There must be repentance and faith in Jesus as Messiah and Savior with a resulting righteousness if one will experience the future kingdom. The New Testament epistles reflect this same understanding as they speak of those who will inherit the kingdom. Finally, the book of Revelation demonstrates that genuine believers who are called overcomers will experience the blessings of the kingdom and the eternal state. Thus, the New Testament clearly demonstrates that it is the saved who will enter the mediatorial kingdom when it is established on earth. Looking forward to that. Today, we're going to see that witnessing and evangelism That we're commissioned to do is witnessing and evangelizing for the kingdom. That's our second action we're coming to today. Would you focus on verse 8 again? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. So if you're putting verses 6 through 8 together, Jesus told the disciples, you are not to know when the kingdom is coming. These times are fixed by the Father's own authority. He's going to take care of that. Don't you worry about it. But right now you're to be busy, and you're to be busy with one primary thing, be my witnesses. Witness for me and for my kingdom. This should be our great concern. There are a lot of other things we do as a church, but this should be our great concern always with everything, how can we witness for Christ? How can we witness for the kingdom? Jesus says, I want you getting out there and I want you telling them about me and what I did and about the kingdom. That's our great concern. During the church age, we are not to make the governments of this world more like the kingdom of God. We will not be successful in that task. We're to change the institutions of society so they can be more Christian. You can't have an institution more Christian when the hearts aren't more Christian. It doesn't work with God. That's all outward. That's pharisaical. That's not the kind of righteousness that God would be pleased with. You cannot turn the governments of the world into the kingdom of God. It just cannot happen. That's not our purpose. Or some other noble purpose. It's not really the church's purpose. We are to do good to men. And so we may feed them and we may clothe them and we may heal them. And you're to be working hard in all your occupations to bring Christianity and Christian values into your occupation as they see you interact with people and do your work. But it's not the church's role to change the world. The world's not going to change until Christ returns. We're not going to eliminate poverty, and that's not our goal anyways. We're not going to heal all diseases. That's not our objective. We're not social warriors, social justice warriors. We're not ending world hunger. We're not ending abortion. Those things are going to go on. Sin's going to continue. That is not what Jesus said the church should be accomplishing doesn't matter how noble it is. Saving the animals from extinction. Whatever it is that you think is a noble cause, that's not the noblest cause. Rather, very clearly, we are to concentrate on the commission. And the commission is to be Jesus' witnesses. You shall receive power and you shall be my witnesses. Pretty clear, isn't it? Witnesses. Martus. Means, quite literally, those who have seen and heard something. And now, talk about what they specifically saw and heard. They make a public testimony about what they heard, just like a witness on the stand in the courtroom. What do they ask you in the courtroom when you get to the stand? They don't ask you, What did somebody else hear? No, what did you hear? Where were you when you heard it? What did you see? Are you sure you saw that? That's what a witness is asked. That's exactly what Jesus is calling them to. God is the judge. And he's saying, I want you to go in this giant courtroom called the world. And I want you to go and I want you to tell them exactly what you saw and what you heard. What you felt with your own hands. Don't tell us what you think other people saw or heard. The apostles were literally the eyewitnesses of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. They are his chosen witnesses. They saw and heard it all. Witnessing for them was not simply talking to other people about Jesus. As we do, we go and we talk to people about Jesus. We call that witnessing. Witnessing was literally telling people what they heard and saw because they had been with Jesus from the beginning. In the upper room, in John chapter 15, verses 26 and 27, at that last supper, Jesus told the remaining 11 after Judas had gone, he said, When the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father, He, that is the Holy Spirit, will bear witness of me, and you, you 11, will bear witness also. And then why? Why would they bear witness? He gives the answer there, Because you have been with me from the beginning. Who gets to be a witness for Jesus? Those who have seen Jesus on earth, heard Jesus talk, and seen him raised from the dead. They're literally witnesses. It was the apostles, specifically then, who were the witnesses. Not even other Christians at that time who had not seen Christ. By the way, Peter makes this crystal clear in Acts chapter 10, verses 40 to 42. There he's preaching in Acts 10, and he says, God raised Jesus up on the third day and granted that Jesus should become visible not to all the people but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people. They were the witnesses, you see. Someone else can't be a witness if they didn't see and hear. So please understand, in this primary sense, you and I are not witnesses. We didn't see. If someone says today, I saw Christ risen from the dead, write him off. unless he's 2,000 years old. Nor were the other Christians in the first century who were outside of that apostolic circle. There were some, of course, mixed in there who had seen it as well. But nor can anybody today be a witness in that sense. Our evangelism, our witnessing, listen, is a derived witness. We're taking their primary witness and we're passing on their witness. What is their witness? Their witness was spoken and after they spoke their witness, they then wrote it down. And so the New Testament is the witness of the apostles. So when we go out witnessing, we have to take the witness of the apostles and defend it and pass it on and explain it accurately because they are the ones who saw and heard. Ours is derived witnessing. That doesn't mean it's unimportant. I mean, after all, the apostles are not in the world today. They're not talking. We have to take their witness and we have to spread it. It's absolutely crucial that we do that. We have our part. We just need to understand. We're not telling them about our experience with Jesus. We're telling them what Jesus Christ did on earth, what he accomplished. And we need to use the New Testament and use it well. The integrity of their witness needs to be ardently defended as well. For if people are going to come to salvation, they have to believe this book. This book and its integrity through apologetics must be defended. It's historical, it's accurate. It is not second century or third century rubbish that people coming along later wrote extra gospels that knew nothing about the life of Jesus. This is first century eyewitness testimony. We need to defend it. The apostles were the actual eyewitnesses and the Holy Spirit did actually empower them to bear that witness. In Acts 5.32, Peter was preaching to the Jewish leaders and with great boldness he said, We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. The apostles' witness to the Jews was largely carried out in their public preaching ministries. And that's recorded for us in the New Testament. The New Testament is the only record, the only record we have of the apostles' witness. And so that New Testament today is particularly important to us. What Jesus told those apostles in secret, they were to proclaim to the entire world. The entire world. Christ chose them. And then he charged them. You. Will be, you shall be my witnesses. Don't read that as a prophecy. Don't read that as a prediction. That was a commandment. In Acts chapter 10, verse 42, it labels it a command. Jesus ordered the apostles to preach to the people. You must do this. In fact, this concept and theme of witnessing or witness is so dominant in the book of Acts that everything really in the book of Acts can be placed under it. Witnessing was the commission and witnessing is what they did and witnessing is what Luke recorded in this book. That's what the apostolic sermons are about when you read Acts chapter 2 and the sermon by Peter there, Acts 3, Acts 4, Acts 13, 14, 17 and so on. The Holy Spirit was empowering these apostles to witness concerning what they saw. Acts 4.8, just for example, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, and off he went to give his witness. Acts 4.31, it says, when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. That was witnessing. That's what the miracles recorded are about. They were to confirm that these apostles really were the witnesses. People say, why aren't people having the gift of miracles and spreading? Because the miracles were tied to the witnesses. The miracles were there to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit, working through them to give a primary first century eye and ear witness. It was for them. In Acts 14.3, it says, Therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord. The Lord was testifying to the word of His grace, granting that signs and wonders, miracles, be done by their hands, the apostles. That's what the historical narrative affirms. The apostles performed miracles. Those around the apostles performed miracles because they laid their hands on them and commissioned them as well. And the Holy Spirit did particular miracles through them to bring testimony to their primary witness. That's why it was so believable. That's why it was so powerful. That's why Christianity was born. Why are there a couple of billion people, supposedly, following a crucified Jew in the world today? And the answer is because of this powerful witness. It was undeniable. It was true. Jesus commissioned them to do this. Remember what Jesus said, It's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the helper won't come to you. But when he comes, you're going to do greater works even than I have done. Just change the world with this message. Notice Jesus not only told them what to do, but he told them where to do it. I like instructions. You know, I was trying to put together this power blower we got. You know, I got through Amazon. I bought this power blower and it comes. I'm like, they should have a fourth grade teacher write these instructions, how to put this together. I can't even understand what they're saying. I can't even see the diagrams. I want things Simple. I want to understand. Anyways, this is a very important task. Things are simple. You will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem. No brainer. It's not like there were five Jerusalems, right? But don't stop there. Jerusalem is important. Jerusalem is where it has to begin. Jerusalem is where David was the king. Jerusalem is where the good news needs to go out. Jerusalem is where Jesus was crucified. Jerusalem is where Jesus was bodily raised from the dead. But Jerusalem is not the whole mission. Then go on out. Go into the districts surrounding Jerusalem, Judea, and then a little further to Samaria. Make sure all the Jews hear about their kingdom first. It's their kingdom. But don't stop witnessing until you reach the ends of the earth, all the Gentiles. And they did. By the time you get to Acts 28, they're all the way to the greatest... Gentile city in the world, Rome. And it speaks of them going all the way to Spain, even further west. Church history tells us that other apostles that are not written about in the book of Acts took the gospel to India, took the gospel to northern Africa, took the gospel to Armenia, to the north. I had to throw that in because I'm Armenian. (laughs) That verse maps out the master plan for the spread of the testimony. There's going to be a king in Israel. He's going to rule over all the world. Why do you think the Muslim nations hate Israel so much? In fact, the book of Acts is laid out really to follow the apostolic witness from Jerusalem to Rome. In Acts chapter 2 through 8, it's primarily about the apostles' witness in Jerusalem. They filled the whole city with teaching about Jesus, it says. In Acts 8 to 12, it's primarily about the spread of the witness to Judea and Samaria. And then for the rest of the book, chapter 13 to 20, it's mostly about how it just kept going into what we call Turkey today and the islands in the Mediterranean and then going to Greece and going on to Italy and it just spread. They accomplished this in one generation. They did it.
0: Like a witness in a courtroom, we are to share our testimony of Jesus with the world. In today's message from Pastor Tom, you heard about the coming Kingdom of God and about the instructions that Jesus left His followers with. Those instructions were not just for His earliest followers, but for us today, too. We are to be His witnesses, sharing the first-hand witness of His apostles who saw His life, death and resurrection. As Christians, sharing the good news of the coming Kingdom is to be our greatest concern and calling. Discover Hope is a listener-supported ministry, and we'd like to offer you the opportunity to be a part of sharing the gospel message. Would you join us in praying for our listeners? Pray that the love and grace of Jesus will be evident in each new broadcast, and that many would come to know the hope of salvation. Thanks for praying. If you feel led to contribute financially to this ministry as well, you can do so by visiting hopebible.org and clicking the Giving tab at the top of the page. We appreciate every amount given and use it to continue producing the messages of Pastor Tom Leak that you hear on Discover Hope. Be sure to tune in to Discover Hope next time to hear Pastor Tom teach about the power that we've been given to aid in our bold witnessing of the Gospel. Our task doesn't rely on mere human effort. You will hear about how the Holy Spirit was poured out to the disciples and how we too have access to its power. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Discover Hope. You can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting hopebiblechurch.org and be sure to join us again right here on Discover Hope.